Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. So I go to Peaks.com. Sure. As you often do. Way too often, if you ask my wife. Not enough if you ask me, because I have to eat and interact with my children. Article I was reading last night, headline was, eighth-ranked Indiana Hoosiers, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't get past the headline for about a minute or two, because I'm sitting there just trying to process it, trying to feel it, trying to accept it. And and I, I have now, because we've been up in this rarefied air for, for several weeks and it is starting to sink in and I'm not waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm like, this is real because Penn state and Michigan ended up not being that good. It took this win against Wisconsin on the road without our starting quarterback to be like, Holy shit. There is no doubt. We are one of the very best college football teams in America. I would also argue that if you didn't do rankings the way they do it, where, because what happens with rankings is whoever you rank in week one, however you rank those teams, you're setting the cement. Mm-hmm. And then it gets harder to move the cement every week, right? It just sure. dries and dries. If this was the first week you did rankings, and you looked across college football and said, okay, now let's rank the teams. Obviously, Ohio State and Alabama and Notre Dame would be one, two, and three. Clemson would probably be right there. And then, I mean, we have one loss against one of the top four teams in the country by one score on the road. We are... Obviously one of the top eight teams, but we're probably even better than that from just a strict, our strength of schedule is sixth in the country, sixth in the country. It is crazy. That game against Wisconsin was so enjoyable because what I saw was an absolutely well-coached team. 
I saw very few penalties on our side. The other team, Wisconsin, who's supposed to be this great program, penalties all over the place. You know, not us. Maybe a couple penalties in the game. We don't false start. We don't jump offsides, which to me, the, the offsides, false starts, and delay of games is where I really look at like coaching. How disciplined are you? You know, pass interference and stuff, I think, gets into just talent, you know, because pass interference is most of the time guys who just get beat and like, what the hell? I hope I don't get caught. But like, how in tune is the team with when the ball is going to be snapped? How in tune is the team to defensively what our strategy is for how do we jump off the ball? How does our quarterback and coaching staff know what the play clock is at? And Jack Tuttle's first game as a collegiate quarterback, he ran the offense as flawlessly as you could expect. And had it not been for Miles Marshall dropping the most wide open play you could ever see, Jack Tuttle finishes the game with three touchdown passes and about 200 yards passing and no interceptions. It was a thing of beauty to watch us grind out a victory against the ultimate grinding team, Wisconsin. Well, and that's another marker of a great team. You can win in different ways. And I, on another text thread I was on, somebody was like, this is not the most exciting game. I'm like, you must not be watching this game because I am seeing a defense that is absolutely crippling this Wisconsin team, preventing them from scoring one single touchdown in the whole game. And it was weird. I guess a lot of it had to do when Tuttle came in at the end of the game last week and he immediately looked like he knew what he was doing and he was in in command of the offense. And again, this is a a testament, not just to him and his readiness and his talent, but the coaching staff who made sure that he was ready and he was confident. And of course brought somebody who was that talented. They showed that picture of him, you know, out in mission Hills, California with like the great 11 or whatever they call it. It was truly a top prospect coming out of high school And as we've discussed before, timing and luck has a lot to do with success in sports, but he stayed ready. He stayed prepared. He came to a program where he's like, hey, I'll have a shot here. And who knows how that shot's going to happen. Unfortunately, it happened through injury, but it was his time to shine. And man, did he hold it down. And again, we've talked about it before. The sign of a great program is the depth. And and even in the at the NFL level, you're like, nobody expects a team to not drop off significantly when they lose their QB. Cause at that level, there's only about 15 in the world who can really do right. it. But at college football, the great programs, and I'm not talking about good or very good. I'm talking about the great programs have at least two of that, those guys over there. And we sure do. We, we do. And I think the thing I was most impressed with his toughness. Mm. I mean, he took a shot at the end of that game. And it seemed like he was done, Mm -hmm. went back to the locker room. And when they showed him running back on, it was like Willis Reed. I mean, it was (laughs) like, oh my God. And you see Tom Allen raise his hands up and give him like a big hug on the way. Like it was, it was inspiring. And, and then of course we win the game and Tom Allen is interviewed on the field on national television on the East Coast, it's about what time at that point? Seven o'clock? About? Yeah, about six six thirty to seven o'clock, somewhere right. around. Yep. ABC, the game, like it is a marquee game. And they interview Tom Allen 
and a parade of players are running by Tom Allen as they go into the locker room. And before they pass him, all of them, one by one, hug him and several of them jump in front of the microphone to espouse their love for what they said is the best coach in America and looking into the camera told other recruits, you have to come play for this guy. <laughs> it Watching it happen live, I mean, my reaction was just like, this is the single best thing that's ever happened to Indiana football. I mean, I literally had that thought. There is no better marketing device than, than could ever be created than what is happening right now on national television for free. Like they didn't have to pay for it. They didn't have to write it. They didn't have to edit it. It is organic and authentic and it is happening for our program. And we've well, never well, seen that for any program. You know, right. I, I know the Clemson players love Dabo, but they, they've, they've never just lost control of their love and emotion and belief in a guy and, and just started crashing his interview one after the other, that the reporter, she said, I've never seen love like this. I've never, it's not, I've never seen like a football team do X or, or, Oh, I've never seen love like this. And this goes back to what's now a weekly occurrence. And this one, because it was out on the field during the interview was exceptional, but no less exceptional are those locker room, the halftime and the after game speeches that have been going out there to the world. They're, they're inspiring. They bring goosebumps. They bring tears to your eye and everybody loves a feel good story. But when you combine the feel good with unbelievable execution on the field, how, how can you not believe this is here to stay? It certainly, it certainly appears that way. You know, we, you're on this text chain with, with the goons and one of the goons it was like spinning this tale of how we, Indiana would make it to the college football playoff and that <laughs> these things would have to happen. It was elaborate. <laughs> it was, it was like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. I mean, there was just so many, you can imagine the wall of weirdness. This guy has up John, the goon on what scenario needs to play out. But I, and I usually get lost in that stuff. And I do on basketball, like, oh, here's what has to happen for us to compete and blah, blah, blah. But on this one, I don't want to do that because doing any of that, to me, undercuts just living in the moment of what is happening with this team. And it is remarkable. It is pure joy. You see the joy on their faces in all the, the videos that you just mentioned. You hear it when you hear like Jack Tuttle, who doesn't think the microphone is on him, saying, I love you oh, to Coach that, Allen. That hug, that was the most beautiful moment maybe of the season. That was, I, I lost it on that one. And Kane Womack is doing an incredible job. Clearly, a lot of what's happening is the schemes on defense, hiding things, changing the positioning at the last second so that the offense can't read at the line what's going on. It does make you real, uh, question the like, why don't other teams do that? But anyway. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, okay, yeah, so so he's doing a great job. But there was a moment in one of those videos where Kane and Tom Allen were in the locker room. Although the, the moment on the sideline is hilarious where Allen wants to go hug him and falls down first. Did you see that where he slid? <laughs> But in the locker room, they hug each other. Did you see this one? And what no. Kane said to him? Mm -mm. Kane hugs him, and Kane says to him, like, privately, what a culture. 
what a culture. And it looks like Kane is saying, like, not, not shocked, but um, overwhelmed by it. And he is saying it clearly to Tom, because as the schemes are clearly helping on the defense and they're amazing, this thing is Tom Allen's creation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that culture that he has created is lifting everyone to heights that on paper they shouldn't be. And it is, it is the most fun team of any sport than I remember watching from beginning of season to end of season, with the exception of maybe like the 92, 93 Cheney years. I mean, I love that. It just didn't end the way we wanted it to. Mm-hmm. But this, it, it is remarkable. And I've never seen anything like it. And it's ours. It is, it is crazy to watch SportsCenter and go, well, they're talking about us. Like <laughs> yeah. that's us. This is I love it. This is my wife trying to clear space off the DVR yesterday. She's like, "Can I get rid of like uh, college game day? No. Can nope. I get rid of uh, you know college football roundup? No. I've literally gone through after the game on Saturday and found stuff like in the three hundreds that have like three local reporters talking about college football, and I'm just recording all of them to hear them talk about us because we're making up for a lifetime of not having them talk about us. But to get back Great to your point. point about being in the present." When you have coordinators like this, you know you're not going to have them for very long. So we have to appreciate these right now. But then you also have the confidence in Coach Allen, like Crimson Tide fans do in Saban or Tigers fans do in Dabo, that he, he has the culture, the culture stays with the coach, and that clearly Tom Allen is great at recognizing coordinator talent, that that there are great guys out there coming up all the time. And that just because Kane is going to go get a great head coaching job soon, we don't have to live in fear of somehow the defense dropping off a cliff. One, Tom Allen's a great defensive mind himself, but then he's able to identify the next rising coaching talent to come in for two, three seasons, whatever it is, and then send them on their way. And, and this is what I want to say hit me the hardest after the Wisconsin win, and it talks to all of this about the culture, was I get so wrapped up in the wins and losses and the plays on the the field, but in the locker room, when they're all doing the dance, I think it was from Fortnite, they had Allen doing the Fortnite dance, I saw dozens of young men, most of which will not go on to play professional football. And I I was like, this man, Tom Allen, is putting so many wonderful young men out into the world. However they came in, whatever their background, they've come here and they are going to be changed for the rest of their life. And as long as he is coaching football, and it better be in Bloomington, he is going to be putting out into the world hundreds of young men who have been instilled with this love and this integrity that is going to make this country, this world a better place by the hundreds. Like that's no joke. There are going to be these Tom Allens going out into the world, bringing that into their communities, into their careers, into their families. And it's such a beautiful thing. 
they should make him a saint. How does he get saint? Can Scott Dolson make that part of his next contract? Because <laughs> I feel like that might be the tipping point right there. I think that's that's only what Notre Dame does. So, look, I want to take a slight right turn to Assembly Hall. Okay. Because in the last week, um, right, it's been a week since the Maui games. Correct. Right? Okay. We saw some good and some bad. Um, we saw some really good against Providence, some really good against Stanford, and some just atrocious play against Texas. And I don't think we really know who we are yet. I do say this, and it's tough because we're comparing it to football now. I mean, that's the truth. I do think this basketball team likes each other more than any team that's been there under the Archie Miller era. Yeah, you I mean, I sent it. out a couple clips of like arms around each other, walking off the court, guys getting, you know, hyped up with each other. I love that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it exists for the entire program. I, I don't. I don't think it exists. You know, who was, I can't remember who told us this, but someone once told us like, you're either playing for the guys next to you or you're playing for your coach for a good team. Michael Lewis, I mentioned that too. And Lewis said, well, the great teams play for both. Mm. And I thought that was a good point. I'm not sure we have them playing for both. Okay. Well, here's what I think. This coach recruited all these players with the exception of Al. Yeah, so that love should exist for him also. Obviously, Archie is never going to show it to us, to the world. And maybe he doesn't even show it to the players in the same way, if at all. Yeah, he doesn't. Okay, but you're just saying, like, this is the team that likes each other the most and is most inclined to play for each other. And then that somehow the coach that brought them all there together and assembled them is like uh separate from that. Like how do no, how do no. you not he, I, how do I, you not equate all these players wanting to play together and for each other with the coach responsible for identifying them yeah. and bringing them there? He deserves credit for that. It's not enough. Based on what? Based on we're not good enough yet. What do you mean? Oh, okay, based on not, we got based not, on we got beat by 40 against Texas and scored 44 points. Okay, but then I'm going to talk that we we smacked two other tournament teams around. Well, first of all, you don't know that they're tournament teams yet. That's because other people are telling us that they're tournament teams. Like Texas is impressive. Texas was, I mean, Texas was a bona fide team coming in and and beat North Carolina. I just don't get why you take out of those three games, which were a net positive, that you want to like. I don't think they were a net positive. I think they were status quo. If we won twice as many games as we lose this year. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, okay. and then and then, okay. but because but the Lord, coach doesn't inspire us the same way this other coach does, is I I, I don't get why that's your focus. Because I don't see the special sauce on the basketball team the way I do on the football team. That's not fair because what we have in Tom Allen is is exceptional in any sport across the entire nation. He's truly, he's a superstar. Now coach K is having him on his podcast and slurping on him. Tom Allen is bonkers special. He is. 
Indiana basketball is bonkers special and Indiana basketball should always be exceptional. So that we now have arguably a top 10 defense off of this small sample size is not exceptional enough for you. If that was all they played, that'd be great ward, but they don't, they play offense too. So no, I'm not going to go crazy about one side of the ball being really good. I'm really happy. That I'm one not side asking you for go crazy. I'm just asking you not. You to said fu- that's not good enough for me. No, it's not good enough for me. Shouldn't be good enough for you either. If we if we won twice as many games as we lost this season, it would be good enough for me. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think what that makes our record. 19 and 8, something like that? Yeah. 18 and 9, 18 and 9. Okay. Obviously, we were all horrified by what the offense did against Texas. It was it was really scary and maddening. I'm horrified with the offense has done in all the games. If, if I'm not, if we had can't shoot the basketball, if you had said, we're going to win two out of three games in Asheville, what I would have said is they better win two out of three games in Asheville. Like they did. And they did. No, no. They met expectations. They met, they met. So now we have to exceed expectations. Yes. What are you crazy? Well, look, yes. I, my expectations we've, are different we've, from we've, other people. I'm not crazy. Been, no, I want to be. You are. A, of I course, we a, have to exceed expectations. I want to be a top twenty-five team that gets to the Sweet Sixteen and finishes in the top five of the conference. And I didn't. Okay, see, but that would be exceeding expectations, Ward. For no, no, I just said my expectations. Okay, my expectations. All right, I'm talking about normal expectations that are out there for the team. Yes, we have to exceed them. Your lofty expectations already do that. So yes. Well, and then I don't think my expectations are lofty. I think they're, they're what have to happen this year for me not to start, you know, feeling like you do. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, look, I mean, if you see a team right now that you think is going to the sweet 16 and going to finish top five in the big 10, then please pass me the Ziploc bag of goodies. I think they can, but I would rather be living in that space than chain smoking cigars, being angry about one out of three games. First of all, that's an unfair thing. The chain smoking cigars is what makes me happy. So (laughs) take that out. And And by the way, you would like to be chain smoking cigars. So don't, don't denigrate. No, I wouldn't. Don't denigrate. Oh, 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 you can make fun of my edibles, but I can't make fun of your cigars. I wasn't making fun of, I said, Give them no. You said that you you were indicating that drug use was the reason that I was happy with how IU played in Asheville. And if it is, I said, give it to me. You (laughs) said you don't want to be chain smoking cigars. You went the opposite. Don't act like you were sincere. Don't act like you were sincere. Wanting well, if I I will bring you edibles right now, I will bring you edibles. I can't do it. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. I can't handle How it. How do you know you've never tried? Because I'm too much of a control freak. I won't I won't do well with it. I won't do well with it. I, I, I respect that. But I would love the feeling of it because it would make me more happy. I'm worried about the basketball team. I'm worried about the team that in year four has an offense that cannot shoot the basketball in an era of basketball where shooting the basketball is the most important thing. That really worries me. It worries me that we don't have one elite shooter on the team, not one in four years. It worries me that at the end of a shot clock or the end of a game when you need a bucket, the answer on this team is to give the ball to Al Durham in year four. 
a guy that was ranked 230. No, it's give the ball to Trace Jackson Davis. No, it's, it's not. It's but give the ball to Trace Jackson Davis. No, it's not. It's not because when you are at the end of a game, you can't just give the ball to Trace with 20 seconds left on the shot clock and let him go. You can't. The ball has to be in a guard's hand. It's why it's a guard's lead, a guard sport because the guard is going to have to do it. And if they double Trace and deny him the ball, you can't get it to him. It's why getting the ball to a post player doesn't happen at the end of most games. If the ball stays in the guard's hands and we don't have that, that bothers me. I'm worried about that team. So yeah, I'm worried. I understand why you're worried, but I'm also liking what I'm seeing Rob from the outside. I like seeing race hit a three pointer. I'm excited about seeing Armand hit mid range jumpers. Loved what Armand did. I don't think we have that one clutch guy. We can just give the ball and go. That's unfortunate. Maybe Christian can evolve into that, but there are definitely more possibilities. There's, there's definitely more possibilities on that floor now that we've seen already this season that when we need to score, we, we have options both inside and out. I'm not sure I agree with that for this year. Devante was a better option, but I'm not as obsessed. I'm not obsessed about this one guy doing this one thing. It's, it's a 40 minute game where you got to have five guys out there all the time. And I just need us to fill it up collectively enough times over 40 minutes. Trey Galloway and Armand Franklin, uh, Trey Galloway, I'm confident cannot shoot three pointers and won't shoot them well this year. I hope I'm proven wrong. Armand Franklin hasn't shown the ability to hit consistent three pointers. I do like the mid range game and I like what he's doing overall on the court. Uh, I'm glad that race Thompson is one of two three pointers on the year and that your bet is uh, I asked Johnny Jager to give us the update. He said, he's going to give us the update. Um, Oh, great. Yeah. uh, I don't think uh, I I don't know. I, I, I am very worried about a team in 2020 that cannot shoot reliably from the outside and collectively we cannot shoot reliably from the outside. There's never been a better IU team for hot takes. (laughs) <laughs> so far this season. And there's a good chance that could continue. And I'm sure I'll be mercurial like the rest of the fan base. Where I'm at right now, as we're recording this, is a guy who's so buoyed by football. And now that we're a, a week beyond what happened in Asheville and that dust is settled, I'm like, great, great. I I think we're we're more the team in those two games than the, the team we were in the one. And until there's more games like Texas, you're going to believe that. Yeah. Because it's, it feels good. Yeah. No, no, fair enough. I don't have that um, mechanism in me to just choose to feel good. I don't have it in me. I don't. So I, I will say this, I am impressed and Archie deserves and the staff deserves a ton of credit for this defense is excellent. They are an excellent team defense, which is the promise that we were told that Archie would give us. And, and in year four, we're seeing it. So I, I'm really impressed with that. Uh, I just wish there were some guys who could shoot the basketball. Also. <laughs> uh, but speaking of shooting the basketball, Ward. Scoring. Wait, we, wait a minute. Scoring the basketball. Wait a minute. We didn't even, I mean, we, we're, we're so hopped up on goofballs for football and so at each other's throats about basketball, we forget to even do the thing that people love the most about what we do here, which is clearly being powered by Oh, you're getting into the holiday spirit. 
Yeah, I was on the radio on the way in, so I thought, like, why not do a little Christmas cheer? <laughs> um, so yeah, we're powered by pigs. Look, pigs is popping off right now. It's good to be a pigster right now. Uh, you know what? We don't talk about this at all, but if anybody out there doesn't know, we do do this show called Reasonable Rabby on Thursdays, where Ward and I take the position of the hot take culture of Indiana University fandom. We really stretch ourselves to get into those really? roles. Yeah, it's character, uh, some real method acting. Um, and uh, we present it to Rabby, and he tries to talk us down off of a ledge. If for no other reason you should watch the show on Thursdays, because Rabbi's hair is glorious. The flow, the locks. It's, it is, it is Fabio-esque. He tried to fight it for a long time, but now it's just unfurling on his shoulders. And I think like Samson, he's, he's gaining strength. I agree. And and now that he's, he's in on, on football and basketball, you know, we're, we throw everything at him. We throw the kitchen sink at him and we never tell him in advance what we're going to hit him with. So he's got to be ready. And uh, he's such a font of knowledge and insight that we always come out of those episodes much better informed, smarter, stronger, faster, better Indiana fans as a result. What did I say? Did I say something? Well, I know I'm, I'm not a faster Indiana fan after after <laughs> shooting a reasonable Rabbi episode. I'm not. I'm not. I will say that. Smarter, sure. More well-informed, yes. Bigger, yes. Not faster. It has no impact on my lack of speed. Um, and But I do think I could beat Rabbi in a foot race. And I'm slow, but well, I think I could beat him. Well, we, it's well established he could take down Snow in the boxing ring. You think? I would love to fight Snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god like you know all this talk of like floyd mayweather is now gonna fight uh logan paul oh okay okay yeah. i did not hear that i would love to do celebrity non-celebrity boxing <laughs> with brian snow and me i would love it we, we just we'll put up a ring in the hyper do you think he would do it do you think he would do it i think snow and rabby snow and rabby would do it that's that's really the title. That's really match. what people want to see. It's not what I want, that's, but yes. That's the top um, of the card. We should see if they'll do that. We should see if, if Rabbi and Snow will do celebrity boxing. I we'll know give Rabbi them, we'll give him gear. Rabbi yeah, is Rabbi very will. confident in his. Rabbi would freaking dip his knuckles in glue and broken glass <laughs> against, <laughs> against Brian Snow. Full cage match? Yeah, full. <laughs> so listen, uh, Pigs is popping off. Reasonable Rabbi is only available to Peegs premium subscribers. So if you listen to this podcast and you are not a Peegs premium subscriber, it's one more reason to subscribe to Peegs. The other is just incredible coverage of recruiting IU football recruiting now, Matt Weaver, who, by the way, just going to say it a couple weeks from now, maybe Matt Weaver will make an appearance on the podcast. You know, wow. maybe we'll get into football recruiting in a way we've never done before. He can, edu- as, he can edumacate us. He can edumacate us. Maybe he'll make us faster. So, um, (laughs) but speaking of scoring, like we were talking before and shooting, the guest today is an all-timer. I mean, he is an all-timer, period. This guy was just a little bit before we can remember, but man, oh man, oh man, what our dads would tell us about this guy, what the record books will tell you about this guy, what 
YouTube will show you about this guy is he is one of the greatest basketball players that has ever donned the candy stripes. And what his teammates will tell you about this guy. Like when you talk to former players at Indiana and you talk about like young guys, who did they look up to? Like who were the, who were the guys that, you know, that played in the late eighties, mid to late eighties, who did they see at Indiana? That was the stud. Mm -hmm. That's this guy. Yeah. That's also, also uh, being a double digit scorer in over a decade of NBA basketball will also tell you how great this guy is. And then multiple stints as a head coach in the NBA. Like that I mean, will tell you how smart this guy is. Yeah. He's just one of the most impressive guys that's come through the Indiana university basketball program. He's an absolute bona fide legend. We've been wanting to talk to him for a while and I'll be honest, he doesn't do interviews. He, you, even though he has been in the public light for his entire career, he, you will not find a lot of long form interviews with this gentleman because he's not a guy who likes to toot his own horn. He's supremely confident, but he is humble and, and just, he is what he is and he doesn't feel the need to toot his own horn. So we feel the need to toot it. <laughs> so let's get to tooting. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know, this is the part of the program where Eric lists all the accolades of our guests and he was acting like there weren't going to be a lot. I'm actually going to go make myself a sandwich because I know how long this is going to take Eric to list this man's accolades. <laughs> go ahead, Eric. You could go roast yourself a turkey in the time that it's <laughs> going to take. We are talking to a gentleman who hails from Indianapolis, Indiana where he attended Broad Ripple High School, where all he did his senior year was average 28.6 points a game on his way to making the Indiana All-State team an Indiana All-Star. He then, of course, chose Indiana University to attend and to take his skills for college. And all he did at Indiana was become a two-time All-American in 78, 79, 79, 80. He averaged 21 points a game his junior year. He was a career 50.5% shooter. He was the captain of the Pan American gold medal team where he played along teammates Isaiah Thomas and Ray Tolbert, coached by Robert Montgomery Knight. He was a Big Ten MVP after only playing about six games. That's how good he was. <laughs> he was the Indiana MVP in 79 and 80. He is the fifth all-time leading scorer at Indiana with 2,061 points. And that's keeping in mind that his senior year was cut short because of injury. He is the fourth all-time leading scorer in Big Ten games for Indiana University. He led the team in scoring each of his first three years. In the top 15 scorers of all time at Indiana, only Don Schlunt has a higher per game average than this gentleman. He was the fifth fastest to a thousand points. He was the only player at the time to score a thousand points in his first two years. He has the third highest scoring game all time at IU, 48 points against Illinois. He is one of only 19 players to average more than 20 points in a season. He is tied for seventh all-time scoring average at 19.8 points. He is third all-time in field goals made, second all-time in field goals made in Big Ten games. He is the single best season in Big Ten all-time in field goals made. He is the seventh all-time in free throws made. He has three 30-point, 10-rebound games, fifth all-time. Here are the names that have more. 
Archie Dees, Walt, Ball, Walt Bellamy, George McGinnis, and Don Schlunt. He made 18 field goals in a game. He made 15 field goals in a game three times. He's sixth all time in steals. He's a Big Ten champion. He's an NIT champion. He is an inductee in the 1992 class for the IU Hall of Fame. He was the 12th pick of the NBA by the New York Knicks. He had an 11-year NBA career. He is an NBA champion with the Detroit Pistons as assistant coach. He's been the head coach of multiple franchises, taking each of them from the bottom to very close to the top. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to an absolute legend. Please welcome Coach Mike Woodson. That's awful nice of you guys. (laughs) I'm humbled. Oh, well, we're humbled to talk to you. That is for sure. We've been wanting to talk to you for a very long time and can't thank you enough for taking the time. We know how busy you are these days. But real quick, when you hear all of those accolades and all the things you've done in your career, as much as I could spit out without losing oxygen, what sticks out to you as something you are most proud of, uh, whether it's in your playing days or coaching days? uh, what, What do you look back at most fondly? The things that I'm really most proud of is, you know, my teammates that I played with along the way, all the great coaching that I've had in my career, um, starting back in high school with Bill Smith and then getting the opportunity to come to Indiana and play for Bob Knight, who I think is the greatest coach probably that's ever coached basketball. Amen. Um, I've, I've played for so many great coaches, Red Holtzman, Larry Brown, uh, Ron Chaney. I mean, I, I just, I played, I played for a lot of coaches. I really have Cotton Fitzsimmons, who was one of my big time mentors. Um, um, so when I say I'm humble, you know, I don't think that my career would have been where it, it went without all those people in my life. Um, you know, I had a lot of great teammates, guys that I played with in college. I'm still close today. Even my high school buddies that I played with, uh, we're still very close. And then a, a lot of the pro guys that I played with over the years. We're also very close as well. So, I mean, I got to give a lot of kudos to those people because without them, you know, my career wouldn't have been what it's been. I mean, it's been a it's been a major, major run for me in terms of going from a little kid in Indianapolis and, and where I am today. You were saying what a great run uh, you've had and are having can you catch the listeners up just a little bit where you're at now? What's going on? Got a new season coming up real fast. Uh, what's your day-to-day now? Well, you know, I'm back in the NBA. I'm back with the Knicks. Uh, they brought me back this season uh, to team up with uh, Tom Thibodeau, who's our head coach. And, you know, we got a bunch of new assistants that are are with us, Larry and Andy. Uh, I can't even think of their last name, but I know we have Kenny Payne and uh, – Johnny Bryant. Um, I mean, we've got a bunch of good guys that they have put together. Uh, Leon Rose, who's our president, and Wesley Williams, who's our uh, vice president, and and uh, Scott Perry, who's our GM. You know, they put this group together to try to bring the Knicks back and to the top. And, you know, the Knicks have struggled here as of lately the last six, seven years uh, since I left. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. no coincidence, no exactly. coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've struggled some. And so for me, it's good to be back. You know, this is where I started 
my NBA career as a player and to get the opportunity to come back. Jim Dolan was nice enough to to uh, sign off on bringing me back. So I'm happy to be back in New York. Did you have a relationship with Tom Thibodeau before uh, this current stint? How How does that you know, there's so many people in the NBA world, and I know everybody kind of has their guys that they go to, but it does seem like you've got this new group of guys bringing in Kenny Payne and, and yourself. What's the relationship with, with Tibbs? Well, you know, I just known Tibbs over the years from coaching against him. He's a great coach. Uh, he's always well prepared. His teams play hard defensively, and he's had great success in this league as a coach. And uh, so I've always watched him from afar. I coached against him, uh, and we've had battles over the years. Um, so to be able to team up with him, you know, my whole thing about coaching is when you get an opportunity to work with people who have great minds, you know, you can't help but learn something new. I'm always in the business of trying to get better and, and learn something new about our game. So it's going to be nice to, to be able to sit down with him over film session and trying to prepare and uh, and uh, really prepare for games when we get started here soon. Uh, it's going to be a treat for me. I'm excited about it. Well, speaking of learning something new, I think everybody in the NBA is learning how to be a coach and player in this new environment that, of course, started with the bubble that happened for, for right. several teams last year. But now this just incredibly condensed off season where you guys are starting back up in a couple of weeks. How different is it for you going into this next season when the world is totally different from the last time that you coached in the NBA, which was not long ago? Well, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they get, how we all get through it. I thought Adam Silver did a tremendous job back when he started the bubble and and made uh, the playoff run with all the teams that I think it was 22 teams that came to the bubble. And uh, Lakers were fortunate enough to, to come out of that bubble with the championship and they deserved it. You know, LeBron James is, it doesn't get much better than him. Uh, and uh, Anthony Davis who played at a high level, but it's going to be interesting now because, you know, the 30 teams are not going to be in a bubble. I thought the bubble was great because it gave fans and, me as a coach on the outside looking in to really key in on watching basketball. I thought basketball was really played at a high level uh, without fans. And that's kind of hard to get players to do that. And I think one of the reasons why it happened was because the players didn't have anything else to do, Hmm. but concentrate on playing basketball. Uh, There was nowhere to go. Uh, you know, they had the campus there at uh, Disney, Walt Disney there, and that was it. So they didn't have a lot of outside influence that might take them away from really concentrating on playing. And I thought the level of play in the bubble was as high as I've ever seen it. I mean, you saw p- players like Donovan Mitchell and the kid from Denver, uh, Murray. Murray, you saw their yeah. games, you know, go to unbelievable levels i mean the kid from dallas Dante, you know you just saw a lot of good play in basketball and for me from a coaching standpoint i always like to see who's going to make play especially you know when you get in a seven game series and there was a lot of good play that came out of that bubble but moving forward i don't know how you know we're going to do it you know i'm sure adam has a plan uh right now we're just now getting the um the exhibition schedule of uh 
our play, and which will start uh, on the 11th, I believe it is, December 11th, and we'll have four exhibition games. And then we go right into, you know, the regular season, I think, which will start on uh, December the 22nd. Well, before Madison Square Garden became such a regular stop over your playing and coaching career, it all started in Broad Ripple, Indiana. What was it like growing up there and playing basketball there and around Indianapolis as a kid? Well, let me tell you, basketball, as you know, is everything in Indiana. I mean, as a kid, you grow up playing basketball at a very early age. I started kind of late. I didn't really start playing competitive basketball uh, until the eighth grade. And, um, you know, my father died when I was 13 years old. So our family kind of split up a little bit. I'm from a pretty big family, family of 12, nine girls and three boys. And, well, and where are you so in the, my, where are you in the pecking I'm, order? I'm, I'm next to the baby. I'm 62. I have a younger sister that's 60 now. So, okay. um, so I was at the low end of the total pole, <laughs> so to speak. but um, you know, once I started playing, I always played with older guys. My two older brothers really were my mentors early on when I first started playing basketball because I got a chance to run with the older crowd and play with the older crowd. And I truly believe that's how my game started to evolve and it started to get better as I as I grew. I was a five nine point guard in the eighth grade. Um, averaged a lot of points. I broke who's my best friend today, Wayne Rafford. I broke all of his records. That's <laughs> I bet you let him know that too. Everyone. So, yeah. So I write him a little bit about that. So, and, and Wayne was one of my idols. He was a great player. Um, but from the time I left elementary school and went to Broad Ripple, things started to change quickly for me. I grew from five, nine to six, five. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I started to make my round. The big thing about playing basketball, especially in Indianapolis, you know, you have so many different pockets where you can go and see what your game is like against great talent. And back then there was a lot of talent coming out of Indianapolis. I mean, you had Addicts, Tech, Short Ridge, Washington, Northwest. I mean, it went on for days in terms of Arlington, Cathedral, of uh, the talent that came out of Indianapolis. And So every summer I would make my rounds just to see how I fared against guys in their own neighborhoods. And, you know, guys would come in my neighborhood and I lived on the east side of Indianapolis where we played at this rec center called Douglas. And when I was a sophomore, I was good enough to start playing with the Pacers at that Douglas rec center. Wow. And Oh, from my sophomore year on, you know, from the time I left Broad Ripple, I was competing against the Pacers, who George McGinnis and Roger Brown and Nettle Lickey and Freddie Lewis, Mel Daniels and Darnell Hillman. I mean, it went on for days. And then you had the local talent around those guys that were playing. So basketball was at its, to me, was at its all time high for me in the summer competing against those guys. So about time I had the opportunity when coach came in, Bob Knight came in to recruit me. You know, that was the only place I wanted to go. I was being recruited by a lot of schools, but man, to be able to go from Indianapolis an hour away to Bloomington and play for the greatest coach, you know, 
that's ever coached, I think. Uh, it, it was phenomenal for me and my family. Well, before we get to Coach Knight, because we, we had the, the great fortune of having George McGinnis on the show as well. And, and I mean, George just casts such a big shadow. It just seems over everywhere he's gone. And, and, clearly, and clearly in the world of the legend of players coming out of the state of Indiana. When you were growing up, what was the, the idea of George McGinnis? Was he this larger than life figure? What can you tell us about growing up and like the, the players that were of that level? Well, it was a guy before him named Oscar Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> who, you know, my mother graduated from Christmas Attics way back in the day. And my two, uh, my oldest brother and sister, they all went to Christmas Attics. Mm. And they were around Oscar's time. So oh. I never got to see Oscar. You know, I wasn't around during that time, but I watched Oscar in the pros. But Big Mac, I did watch. I mean, I was glued to Big Mac. My idol was Roger Brown. As a kid growing up. So I was glued to the Pacers when they played in the old Coliseum, Fairgrounds Coliseum. And I got to know these guys. You know, when they came in my neighborhood at that rec center, that's how I got to know them. And George and I are as close today as, you know, we we were back then. He kind of took me under his wing and said good things about me and, uh, gave me some confidence that I needed at a young age. And so we kind of just followed each other, you know, over the years. And, and to this day, we still talk and stay in contact with one another. Big Mac was bigger than life, though. I mean, you think about it, he played football in, the, in high school and was an All-American there, and he was an All-American in basketball as well. I wonder this, maybe this is more uh, the fan looking at it, but you're growing up in the time where coach Knight is, is taking over in Bloomington and doing amazing things right away. The Pacers are in the middle of a dynasty led by George McGinnis and their coach slick Leonard won a championship for IU as a, as a star point guard alongside Don Schlunt. So does that factor into you getting invested in playing for IU or are you thinking, well, George went there and slick went there and coach Knight's amazing. Does that all play in? You know, I didn't I didn't look at it in that light because you got to think about it. When I came in, there was a team at Indiana that went like 75 and one, some stupid number. <laughs> and that was that was one of my best friends, Scott May and his crew mm. with Wilkerson and, and Benson and Quinn Buckner and Abernathy and those guys. And so that's what kind of spurred me on in terms of they're winning ways and, and being right down the street. And when you look back at it, you know, that year when I came in, they had graduated all of those guys. So the opportunity to walk in, you know, I wasn't cocky, but I felt good about coming to IU and playing a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so them leaving and six all Americans coming in, there was an opportunity to play right away. And my family just didn't have far to go to see me play. So it worked out perfectly. I, I I did hear, though, correct me if I'm wrong, because we do love great Coach Knight recruiting stories, that there was some debate between him and your high school coach as to how well you might fit into that system. Can you tell us about that? Well, we won't go too deep into it, but I'll, I'll say this. You know, my high school coach, 
who who passed away on me about three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he never got an opportunity to coach college basketball. And if you can imagine, at that time, he was being recruited to be the head coach at Wisconsin University. Wow. And, and the whole deal was is he would get the job if Mike Woodson goes to Wisconsin. Ooh. And that was, that was tough. Now, mm. Smitty never put the pressure on me, but, you know, I, I, I understood the, you know, the dynamics of what was going on at that time. And when coach came in to, to visit, you know, I know what, I, I knew what Smitty was thinking <laughs> and I knew exactly what coach Knight was thinking. <laughs> and, and I knew what I wanted to do. And that was a tough decision because I was very close to Bill Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of my early, early on mentor. So, you know, it got kind of heated, <laughs> you know, in that, in my mom's house in front of our, our pastor and, and uh, my pastor had to calm it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, I had to make a, a major decision on my career. And I truly believe I made the right de- decision. I felt bad about it because Smitty never got a chance to coach in college, but I returned the favor. I made him learn the NBA game when I got the Atlanta job. And then I hired him as my assistant coach when I got the New York Knicks job. And a lot of people don't know that. He I did not right know that. Behind me. That is he awesome. right behind me for three years. Yes. So, you know, we are, uh, we came to IU a little bit after you. And when we were coming of age as Indiana fans, Coach Bob Knight was already the legend that he became. You know, he was everything. You got recruited by him when his star was on the rise, obviously. Like you said, he is coming off of the two greatest seasons of college basketball and were not for a freak injury to Scott May, most likely back-to-back national championships and the last undefeated team. What do you remember about the first time you met coach? What was he like even back then as, you know, back then he's a young coach getting his, his sea legs under him. But what do you remember about him? What impression did he make? Well, the first time I met coach, you know, it's funny how, how things happen in life. You know, when I was in the sixth grade, I had a, my math teacher name was Bill Hamilton and he, he went to Indiana university and he was a white teacher in an all-black school, hmm. and he took a liking to me. You know, I always thought I was going to be this quarterback, a football player. I, <laughs> I only weighed a buck 20 probably. But <laughs> and, you know, he used to go out with me after school, and we would play touch football with some of the, the guys in the neighborhood. And when I left that school and I transferred to a different school, I lost contact with Bill Hamilton. And when I became a junior at Broad Ripple, Bill Hamilton came, he followed me. He came back into my life and he contacted me and he asked me, would I like to go to Bob Knight's basketball camp? Well, I said, well, sure, I would love to go, but I can't afford, you know, to go to coach's camp. He says, well, I'll pay for it. It's probably illegal to even say that now, but (laughs) he paid He paid for it. I went down and, you know, I'm in camp doing my thing with the, you know, hundreds of kids that were at his camp. 
And at the end of the camp, he has a three-on-three contest where he teams you up with two other guys. And me and the two other guys that I was teamed up with, we won the three-on-three contest against all those kids that were at camp. And he presented us with a T-shirt. And I thought that was the, the greatest thing in the world for me as a young player. And he told me, he says, I'm going to follow you your senior year. And, hey, everything now is history. You know what I mean? <laughs> he came in my se- senior year and watched me play one of the best games that I had ever played in high school. What would uh, you score? Oh, a lot of points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he came in, and, and after that game uh, – I read somewhere in in the Indianapolis star that I was on his watch list, that he was going to recruit me. And that's all I needed to hear. And, you know, he started pursuing me once, uh, you know, I got further down the road and, you know, I made that decision to go there, which I think was the greatest decision I've ever made. We we could not agree more, not knowing other decisions you made along the way, but selfishly, we're very glad you made that decision. You said, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you said you got down there and it didn't sound like you were going to be overwhelmed at just the idea of playing for IU because you already knew players on the team or, you know, some that had left the year before. I'm wondering, though, the environment of coming off of one of the greatest seasons. Well, let's say it, the greatest season in college basketball history. Yeah. Did that create more pressure and expectation or was the vibe around the program like, well, we're not going to do that again. We're going to have to rebuild a little bit. So was it a little bit more laid back as far as what people expected of you or coach or even yourselves? Well, you know, expectations were always high at Indiana university. Uh, it didn't matter who played. Um, and I knew that going in um, pressure, you know, I've never been a player or a coach that, that that hides behind I just you know I thought I could play college basketball and I was playing for I thought the greatest coach going at that time Um, and all I had to do was just physically get myself ready to play and learn and um, I I never worried about pressure I, I just as a player even throughout the pros, I just, it, you know, it was just what I was meant to do. I was blessed to play basketball. So the pressure part of it was so far removed. Expectations were sky high because of where I was playing. And and we didn't fare well my freshman year, you know, there. We were so young and, uh, and we had to work our way into, you know, to being a good team over the years. But uh, you know, I thought my senior year, I thought we were the best team in the country. I really did. You know, after coming off that Pan American mm-hmm. gold medal year and coming back that year, because and I gauged it on playing the Russian team because you know every year we would play them and shit, we wouldn't come within twenty points of beating that team. Right. And I think we were the only college team that my senior year that beat them, and we beat them by twenty. Beat, I mean, we beat them easily and they walked away saying that we were the best team in college basketball, but injuries, you know, they happened, you know, Randy went down and then I went down, was able, fortunate enough to come back. And, 
and finish my, you know, my senior year. So. Well, one of the things you've already mentioned that is something that we as Indiana fans cherish because it's what we think separates Indiana is the bonds that you feel from fan to player and from that we see between players. And one such player that you clearly had a special bond with was someone who came into school the same time you did, Glenn Grunwald, who became a lifelong relationship. But you come into that year, like you said, it was a changing of the guard. You, Glenn, Butch Carter, Bill Cunningham, Derek Holcomb, Mike Madej. I mean, it's a whole new thing. Um, did you know any of those guys coming up playing basketball in high school and, and rec leagues and specifically Glenn? No. How did you how did you and Glenn kind of bond? Well, again, you know, I it, it, it wasn't just Glenn. It was, you know, that whole mixture of guys that you mentioned along with the guys that were there. The only guy I knew was Wayne Rafford. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the five guys that came in with me, we were all all Americans in our own perspective ways in different states. And it became competitive, man, you know. And I honestly thought the one thing that I had going for me, I averaged more points than all those guys. <laughs> and, I, and I knew I can score the basketball. And if the coach gave me the opportunity, I would show him that. And he did. And uh, that's how I became – you know, the player that I became in college because he believed in what I could do and I didn't lack confidence. I've never lacked confidence in being able to shoot the basketball and score the ball. So, and I don't mean that in a braggadocious way. I was just blessed to score the basketball and he gave me that opportunity. He triggered a lot of things my way around me on the court. Um, the one thing he rads me still today is that I was a horseshit defender. defender. <laughs> <laughs> he said I never could defend. So that part of that's that other side of the basketball caught a lot of hell over the years. So, but hey, it was a part of it. So, could you tell us how you were so good at scoring? You came in and you were scoring 18 and a half points a game as a freshman in the Big Ten. Like, how do you do that? I don't know. Again, blessed, I guess, you know, I, I was able to, I was blessed with a jump shot, man. And, you know, I had, I had quickness that I could get around people and make plays at the rim. And, you know, I wasn't a bad free throw shooter, you know, throughout my career. And, you know, that helps along the way in in being a scorer and, and coach Knight saw that in me. And, And like I said, he catered things to my game. And so it just, it made it easy for me, you know, because my teammates, you know, I give them a lot of credit. They set screens and in our motion offense and the guys that were supposed to get you the ball, they got you the ball. And all you had to do is make the play and put the ball in the hole. And I was, I was blessed to do that. We've talked to several people who said that playing for coach Knight, the games became easy the practices were hard and that the practices were so hard that it so prepared you that when the game came, there was no amount of pressure in a game that bothered you. The other team didn't bother you as much as you knew how hard practice was. And you've talked glowingly about coach Knight uh, as the best coach who ever coached the game. How quickly into playing for him, whether it was practices before the game started, did you realize, Oh, this guy is really special. 
as a coach? And do you remember like a moment or something happening where you really, that clicked for you? Well, you know, I think he was so detailed, you know, his preparations were off the charts, man, in terms of how he prepared. Uh, you never went in the game unprepared, never, you know, and uh, that's the one thing that I noticed from practice to the game. You know, practice was three hours and you lived for the game. You lived to get the hell out of practice to take <laughs> The frustration, no, really, to take your frustrations out on your opponent. And and I don't mean that in a bad way because in those three hours, we learned a lot of basketball. And we learned how to play at the level that he wanted us to play at. And, um, I mean, it, it was – from my freshman year to my junior year, I was playing – my junior year, I was playing at a level that, man, I – I would walk away just shaking my head, man. How, you know, how can this be? Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of it was, it was based on what I learned my freshman and sophomore year. And it, it just propelled me every year. I started to get better. And unfortunately I had the, you know, the accident, the injury, right. you know, my senior year that kind of slowed the progress of where I wanted to be. Did coach make you do the notebooks in your years? Did you have notebooks? Oh, yeah. We, you had notebooks. Uh, I'll give you a notebook story. Great. <laughs> You'll laugh at this one. Yeah, we all had notebooks. But I remember when we were playing in the Pan-American team. Well, Isaiah, who was a little young pup at the time and uh, had never been anywhere but Chicago and Bloomington, basically. You know, and me being the captain, I was like his babysitter. Basically. So we had practice one day and it was a matter of fact that the day that coach had the incident with the police officer and we get to our, our notebook session and everybody has their notebook, but Isaiah, <laughs> he forgets, it. he forgets it back, you know, at the village where we were staying. And I was like, Oh no, Oh no, <laughs> not right now. Isaiah, this can't be happening to you. And coach just tore into him, sent him out of the gym, back on the bus. He was like a little two-year-old walking back to the bus and set out there the rest of practice. But that notebook was so important for everybody because, again, it gave us an opportunity to prepare in that book. And you studied that book leading into the opponent that you was getting ready to play. And this happened every, every game, every game. It was that way. So that book was important for all the players that played there. Uh, we've heard the phrase lately, welcome to the Big Ten moment, where when you're first getting into the conference play as a freshman and you're like, whoa, okay, so this is what it's like. And I know you were you were thrown right into the fire there and you were confident that you could handle it. But was there a, a moment, a game where you remember being like, OK, this is a whole new ball game I'm dealing with? First Big Ten game. Purdue. Against right? the number one team. No, no, Michigan. Oh, oh, Michigan. OK. They were the number one team in the nation. And we beat them in Bloomington my freshman year, my first game. And I got mvp of the game and i was so 
nervous and from the mic being put in my face, you know, I just, you couldn't imagine as big of, the, as of a game that was playing Michigan at home on national TV. And I go out and be player of the game. When you got Phil Hubbard and, and Ricky Green and those guys on the opposing team, it was the, it was one of the biggest moments for me as a freshman starting out playing in the big 10 I was like, wow, maybe I can play in the Big Ten. Um, I think you scored 26 points in that game, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, I think you did pretty well. Like you said, though, the freshman year uh, didn't go as well as anybody would have wanted to. There was a big changeover in in personnel. I do have to ask you, because one of the stars from the 75-76 team was a senior your freshman year, and that's Kent Benson, who, of course, went on to become the number one pick of the NBA draft. Um what was Benny like uh, as a teammate? I mean, I know he's a serious dude, uh, but what was he like as a senior trying to impart, this is what it means to play for Indiana to you? I think it was so overwhelming. You know, he, you know here's a guy who comes off of winning a national title undefeated, and now you got all these young pups that come in, man. And to try to manage all of that, I think it was so overwhelming for, for Kent. Uh, to the point where uh, it was frustrating, had to be, you know what I mean? Because he just wasn't used to losing. Right. And, uh, you know, he, I don't think he, you know, he, he had some back problems that year. So he was kind of up and down uh, that particular season too. Uh, but for me, you know, it, 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 it's, it's what it was. I mean, I looked at the fact that we were so young and, uh, it, you know, we just couldn't, there was no way we could play like the Quinns and the, and the Bobbies and the, and the Scott Mays because that team was, that was a team. And we were just new trying to figure it out as young guys. And eventually we started to figure it out and come together as a ball club. You certainly started off the next season that way. You were nine and one, but I, I actually want to talk about the one loss, which was second game your sophomore year to Kentucky. What was that rivalry for you? Obviously, it went back to even when you were an Indiana All Star and you had to play the Kentucky All Stars. We know how much it meant to Coach Knight. Were you all in on that rivalry? You know, from the jump, and we we have to ask what. What is a practice like after you lose to Kentucky? Well, practice is always going to be practice. I mean, gentlemen, you're going to go through three hours of practice no matter what. And it's intense. (laughs) And it's a lot of work put in. But Kentucky and Purdue game and Ohio State are Mm -hmm. probably the three teams that, that you just can't lose to. And, you know, we... We kind of had our way with Ohio State, you know, over the the years I was there. I beat Kentucky, I think, once in Bloomington yep. in overtime. Um, but they were tough. They were a tough team to crack. And Purdue, I never won in Purdue. So <laughs> there you go. You know, I mean, those guys, you know, the Big Ten was so good, man. I mean, you think about all the players that came through the Big Ten when I came through. It was a lot of talent that came out of the Big Ten. 
I know it's I, just to go on a little tangent. It's why it bothers me every year now when I hear people say, oh, the Big Ten is tougher than it's ever been. No, it's not. The Big Ten was just as tough in the 70s and just as tough in the 80s and just as tough yeah. in the 90s. It's always yeah. tough. You know when people say it's always. You know when it's tough. You know when people say the Big Ten is tougher than it's ever been. When you aren't as good as you used to be. That's when they say how yeah. tough it is. That's the truth. I mean, when Absolutely. you were playing, you were yeah. playing against number one teams, multiple number one teams from the Big Ten every year. Yeah, and the talent level. You think about all the players with Magic and Kelser yes. and Mikhail and Michael Thompson and Joe Barry Carroll and. Clark Kellogg and Herb Wills and Cal. I mean, it just, yes. Ronnie, it goes on for days of the talent that was in the Big Ten. I mean, it was just a lot of talent. It wasn't easy to win in the Big Ten. It wasn't. I think you already said the answer, but we just have to double check. Who was the toughest guy you played against in the Big Ten? It was Magic and his crew. You know, it's funny you asked that because my junior year, we were in uh, Russia together. Magic and I were roommates for almost, it was almost three weeks to a month. We were over there playing for the goal. And um, we knew coming into my junior year, his senior year, I mean, his sophomore year, we had an opportunity to play each other three times. Yeah. Uh, they were paired, they were paired out in the uh, far West classic with us. Right. So hell I'm talking a lot of noise and he's talking noise. <laughs> I'm out, you know, cause we split it. We split his freshman year. We beat him at their place and then they beat us at our place. And I told him, I said, you won't win a game. You will not win a game. And <laughs> first game was out in the far West classic in the championship round championship game they won so as i'm walking off he's like hey woody i'm up one i said okay i'll see you at our place they come to our place and i mean they were good games but they would always at the end they would make that run and and uh beat us and they beat us at our place he said you got anything to say now you gotta come to lance <laughs> and we go to Lansing and we lose in Lansing. So he won all three, you know, and, and they went on in the national title, you know. So, I mean, that team was really good. They were by far one of the toughest teams that I had ever played in, in college. I mean, there were a number of teams that were tough. I tell you, a good team that was really tough was Alcorn State. I don't know if you guys remember that team. No. Mm -hmm. That was undefeated in, in IT. They oh, came wow. to Bloomington. They were undefeated with uh, Larry Bird and that crew. And they came in and uh, uh, we just beat them by three points. I mean, that's probably one of the toughest games that I played against an opponent in Bloomington. They were really good. Hmm. Your sophomore year ends better than your freshman year. You make the NCAA tournament. You, uh, you, you win a game in the NCAA tournament, and then you lose in the second round. Uh, to Villanova, very good team. And now it's time for your junior year and more new players are coming. And now we're starting to see the nucleus of really a national title caliber team. You add Randy Whitman, you add Ted Kitchell, you add Landon Turner. Um, and uh, I mean, just a excellent team. And it is clearly your team now. And your game goes up a whole other level. Like you said, your junior year, you are playing at just an incredible uh, all-American level. 20, 20, 21 points a game for those keeping score at home. That's right. 
and you start the year in Alaska. And that starts inauspiciously with uh, a couple losses, a win, but something just wasn't right on the team for a while. And it was covered a lot at the time. What do you remember about that time that really got through like the Georgetown game in the early part of that year when coach kind of put his foot down and changed things up? What do you remember about that time? Well, we had, you know, we had the marijuana problem that happened in, uh, in Alaska and, and then coach stepped in and, and made, major changes you know he kicked guys off the team uh put you know guys on probation and you know I was one of those guys uh wasn't in Alaska involved in what was going on there in Alaska but uh had heard about it when we got back I did and being the captain you know hey I was I was held accountable as well and you know a lot of things happened that year where you know some of my best friend was kicked off of couple other guys were kicked off and that team could have easily gone the other way. Right. And if you remember after all of that, we were, we had to come and play Kentucky yes. after all that incident happened. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to beat, a, you know, Kentucky who was ranked high six. that year. They might've been six, what, six. Yeah. Yeah. And we beat them in overtime and, I was able to get through that. And then it was kind of an up, uphill climb from there. And uh, uh, when we did make the tournament, because, you know, they weren't taking 60 teams at the time. Right. They were taking, I think, 36, 40 teams. And, you know, we ended up making the NIT. And and, and Coach was so gun ho on this NIT tournament. And, um, you know, he made it known that, you know, the fact that we had a half-assed season that we had to win the NIT. And I remember our last Big Ten game, we were in Illinois. And we were at breakfast that morning before the game. And, you know, I never read the newspaper or anything like that. I always tried to stay out of away from that. And he came into the breakfast meeting and he throws the paper on the table and said, read it. And I read it where it says Mike Woodson is second team all Big Ten. <laughs> and he was furious. He was just, he was pissed. And I was irritated to him a little bit because I I never, I always thought, what did I have to do to, you know, make first team? You know, every, I think my freshman year, I was second leading scorer in the Big Ten. My sophomore, I was second leading scorer. And I was second leading scorer my junior year, I think, in the in the conference. And I read it, you know, didn't read much into it. But for some reason, the basketball guys followed me from that breakfast meeting to the game that night. And I had this unbelievable feeling about my play when I stepped on the floor that we had to win that game to get to the NIT. Hmm. And... I have the biggest game of my life. Yeah. And after the, after the game, I recall coach, I saw him, uh, you know, as we were going into the locker room, you know, he was fussing about how in the hell can this guy not be on first team all big 10. He was telling that to the other coaches as we were. And I didn't really pay much, you know, you know, it's what it was. I was on second team and, 
obviously when he got on post game, Mike, he, he just erupted, man. And next thing I know, a day later, I was put on. First time it's ever been done on first team all Big Ten, six players. Wow. So there now, you go. Now you scored 48 points in that game. I like how you said, like, you, you, you just cruise over that point. We're going to lay on it for a second. 48 points in that game, one of the greatest games in the history of Indiana University. But I am curious, you know, Coach Knight, I think that there's a lot of things that get said and written about Coach Knight that are just factually untrue. And one of those things, you know, I think people think he's, oh, this old school guy, you have to be a senior to play. The truth is coach will play the best players. Like you were one of the best players on the team. So he gave you the ball your freshman year. And that's how he was his entire career. But I think there's a misnomer about that. The other one is, you know, oh, coach is just a team first guy. And he was, he wanted you guys to be a team first, but he cared about you as individuals. What did it mean to you to have coach Knight so enraged that you weren't getting the personal recognition that he thought you deserved? That had to, that had to boost you up to know your coach had your back like that. No, it was, it was a great feeling, you know, and, and coaches always made me feel that way. Uh, the four years that I played for him and, you know, for him to go out of his way to say that, you know, this, this is a travesty that this kid is not on first team all big 10. And then they changed the whole process of how they <laughs> go about, you know, picking the first team. Hell, they added me to it. They said, shit, it. Put him on it. He deserves to be there. <laughs> that was kind of nice. Well, the other nice thing about that NIT run is, of course, the last two games of that NIT championship. First off, you're playing in Madison Square Garden, which, which, which is nice foreshadowing of where your life is going to take you. But talk to us a little bit about just being a player and getting to play in a championship round at Madison Square Garden. And you're playing Ohio State and then Purdue. Just walk us through what you remember about those two games. It was incredible because, you know, we had battled against these guys for years, you know, and, you know, those weren't going to be easy wins. They just weren't. And, you know, again, we, we beat Herb and Clark Kellogg and that crew. um, And we knew going against Purdue was going to be a nail biter. You know, I mean, I, and it came down to, you know, Butch Carter hitting the winning bucket to win it. So, I mean, it was – when I think winning the NIT for us, it kind of salvaged a lot that year based on what we went through early in Alaska and all the things that happened that season. And for me, you know, I caught a lot of hell for it, um, but it didn't break me, you know, and that's that's what I was more proud of because I was still able to bounce back and, and continue my ways and – and then we were able to to get to the NIT and and then win it, you know. So that kind of it kind of put a a light on you know what we went through that season, and it prepared me for that summer, you know, going into uh, you know my senior year do in the Pan American game. Do you know what Coach Knight said? Uh, this guy, this quote from Coach Knight after that Purdue win to win the NIT championship. He is quoted as saying, this is as satisfying as the NCAA title in 1976. I mean, it was because we went through so much, you know, as a team. And again, you know, that team could have easily quit and and broke. You know, I was the captain of that team and 
you know, I refused to quit. And, you know, the guys that suited up, they refused to quit. And we just kept grinding and doing what we needed to do. And, and we were fortunate enough to win the NIT championship. And that was gratifying. Now, as you're going into that summer and that experience with the Pan American Games, you'd mentioned that you were a bit of a big brother babysitter for Isaiah. When did you start to realize how great this guy was? Do you remember there's a moment, a practice? Was it the first time he stepped on the court? It was was the Pan American tryouts. You know, here's a kid who hadn't played one lick of college basketball, and he comes to the Pan Am tryouts, and he's competing against the best point guards in the country in college. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here now. We never teamed up in the uh, in the tryouts, mm. uh, but I would, you know, I would play my game and practice. You know, do what I had to do with my, you know, because they had separate teams and things of that nature. Until they narrowed it down to who was going to be on the team, but then I would go and watch it because I'd heard all this hype about Isaiah Thomas coming out of Chicago and so I would go and watch his games and I was just I was blown away because this kid was so ahead of his time and he was doing things that a high school player shouldn't be doing (laughs) again not really against college players or all American players so I knew right then I was like man we're going to be really good my senior year I mean, I, you know, after watching him, because I knew what we had coming back from that NIT team. And and then we go and win the gold medal. And he was, you know, he didn't play a whole lot early. But when Kyle Macy got his jaw broke overnight, threw him right in there. And, man, we, we, never, we never lost a beat, man. I mean, you go back to the championship game, you know, they made, Puerto Rico made a, a hell of a run at the end. And it was Isaiah that kind of calmed the storm, man, and, wow. and helped us get over the hump. And we were able to win the gold medal. So I knew I felt good about our chances coming into my senior year. We were right. Hell, we ranked number one. Yeah, you were in my senior year. Before we you leave know, the Pan American Games, because I'm always curious about this. It's one thing when you're at Indiana and you're with your brothers playing for Coach Knight day in and day out. But in the Pan American Games, it's a bunch of players who play for other coaches who are now playing for coach Knight. So I'm curious about two things. One, is he as hard on these new players as he is on you guys playing for Indiana? And two, do those players come to you and say, how do I deal with this guy? Well, help me, give me some tips so he doesn't get mad at me. Like, what do I have to do? Both, both, <laughs> both one and two. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny. That's a great question because you know, when we had the incident with Cal uh, Mesa getting his jaw broke by one of the Cuban players, it was just nonsense. So, you know, how that went down, it just never should have happened. Could, I'm sorry, then, Coach. Could you describe how it happened? Because I am from Kyle well, Macy, Kyle Macy's hometown. And despite him going to Purdue and then Kentucky, I, I, yeah. I, I, I still, you know, have feelings for him. <laughs> Well, we, uh, you know, we were playing the Cuban team and this is probably about three or four games before we even got to the championship round. And it wasn't really a game. We were up probably 25, 30, we, you know, beating them handily. 
And I remember Cal having the ball up top. He passed it to the wing and everybody turned and he's laying on the ground. The guy just co-cocked him. And I mean, he never even saw it coming. And then the guy walked to the bench, you know, and it became a, you know, we kind of got into it and night, you know, made us calm down. And, but, you know, he was done for the, uh, right. You know, for, uh, the gold medal, you know, right. He never made it to the gold medal, right. He had to get his jaw wire and he came back to the United States. So, um, it, it was just, it was awful. And then, you know, we, then we had the police incident with coach. I mean, the things just got out of hand, man, to the point where Knight was, he feared for our lives. That's how bad it got. They were burning wow. American flags in the village. He moved us out of the village. It gotten kind of out of hand. And, I remember Knight calling me to his room and he, you know, me being the captain, he says, Hey, Woody, I think we should go back home and not play for the gold medal. Wow. And, uh, but what I need you to do is go sit with the players and check their temperature, you know, and see what they want to do. So I get all the guys together and I go in, I said, listen, coach is thinking about going home. And before I could say another word, Kevin McHale said, excuse my language, bullshit. <laughs> I'd be damned. He said, I'd be damned if I'm going home. I ain't put up with this guy for two months and not stay here and play for the gold medal. <laughs> and everybody, everybody just fell in line. And wow. Said, hey, we, we're going to stay right here and play for it. Because, you know, they called a lot of hell too. You know, so to answer your second question, they called a lot of hell as well. You know, he didn't, he didn't let anybody off the hook. You know, he coached. That's what he did. And he coached us well enough to win the gold medal. Well, and as, as we all know, coach took incredible pride allowing someone to put the Indiana across their Jersey, you know, across their chest and playing for, for our school. But I don't think anything means more to coach than putting USA across your chest. I mean, this is a oh, guy yeah, was who huge. is, you know, he, the Pan American Games, then later in the 84 championship, the last, the last coach to coach a team of amateurs for America to win the gold medal. I mean, that clearly, that patriotism the coach had, had to have meant just a tremendous amount to him. Just say great coach. That's all. <laughs> yeah. That, that sums it up, man. I mean, you know, the thing. Things that he's done over his career is just, you know, people dream about doing. What did it mean to you to win a gold medal for the United States? No, it meant a, a great deal to me. I think anytime you, you know, you go out of your country and, and you compete for your country uh, for a medal, it's, it's huge, man, because you put so much into training, so much into practice so much into closeness in terms of your teammates and bonding and coming together as one and trying to accomplish one thing. And that's winning, winning it all. And I mean, it was just the celebration and the, the sense of relief after that, that horn sounded and we're, you know, jumping around and, and knowing that we had won the gold medal, man, it was incredible, man. I mean, it was just a wonderful feeling. 
And now you get to come back to Bloomington, like you said, for your senior year, where you guys are ranked number one in the country. You have this kid that you just played with in Isaiah. You also bring in Jim Thomas and Chuck Franz and Tony Brown, Steve Bushy. And now, you know, the senior leadership of this team, you know, guys, obviously you're the captain, but you've got Butch Carter, who's a hell of a player. You guys are an incredible team. Randy Whitman, Ted Kitchell. I mean, the list goes Tolbert. on and on. We, we haven't Ray mentioned Tolbert. Ray Tolbert yet. And Landon Turner. Uh, I mean, this is a, a great team and you start off number one, you're four and O and then of course you play Kentucky again and the bottom falls out when Randy goes out first with an injury. And then of course you have the, the herniated disc right in your, in your back. Well, I was hurt. I was hurt three games in. Oh, you were. Mm, okay. You know, yeah. So I, I, I want to say that fourth game was against someone up in Indianapolis. I can't remember. DePaul it was all, or somebody. It was all Bloomington games up until you went to – oh, Toledo was the game after Kentucky, which was in Market Square Arena. That was the Toledo game. Okay. Yeah. When we went to Kentucky, I was already hurt. Because okay. if you – that game, we were up nine. Yes. At halftime. Yep. And – I had a big first half. I think I want to say I had like 16 to 18 points in the first half and I donut in the second half. And I knew then something was going on. And, and, you know, me being my senior year, I tried to hide it. I did. And uh, we go to Toledo and the first half, that's when I started the first I would take a shower before the game to run the hot water on me, mm-hmm. to loosen me up. And then I would go out and play, come back in at halftime and jump in the shower because my back just wouldn't allow me. You know, I, just, I developed a stiffness, you know, it sure. was you know coming and going. And so I think I played a Toledo game. I might've played another game after that. I can't remember. I thought I played about eight games before I actually sat down. Um, But when I, you know, they kept saying they thought I had back spasms, muscle spasms. And so I went on medication and it didn't help. So I knew something was wrong. And so coach and our doctors, medical doctors there at Indiana, they sent me to Indianapolis to to meet this guy named Henry Foyer, Dr. Henry Foyer, um, who basically saved my life. Uh, I go in with uh, my girlfriend and I, we go in the office and he says, uh, walk on your heels. And I couldn't walk on my heels. You know, one foot just kept flopping. So he says, sit down. So I sit down and he asked me to hold my big toe. You know, you should be able to take your thumb and big toe where you can't just push it down. And my big toe would just flop like Mm. it just, there was nothing there. So he says, Mike, you're going to have to have back surgery. And I told, oh yeah. And I told him, I said, well, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I'm not having back surgery. <laughs> and this true story, I said, and if you tell the press 
I'm going to hire a lawyer and sue you. <laughs> That's what I told him. Right. And um, so he said, well, I got to tell coach and I got to tell your mother. And I said, okay, that'll be fine. So I left the office and I went home uh, there in Indianapolis. And when I walked in, my mother said, the doctor just called me. And uh, I said, okay. He says, you need to have surgery first thing in the morning. I said, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> she said, sure it is. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, mom, it ain't going to happen. She says, are you going to graduate on time? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, that's all I care about. I could care less if you play basketball ever again. Mm. You're going to have back surgery tomorrow morning. I went in and I had the surgery. And it was probably the lowest moment of my life, you know, because, you know, hearing this high-profile athlete that's running around and jumping and shooting basketball and And when I came out of that surgery, I couldn't even walk, Hmm. you know, and I'm sliding across the floor trying to figure it out. And, you know, and he had told me at the time it was a 50-50 chance that I would come back. And that's why I told him I wasn't going to have it because the odds just weren't in my favor. And, uh, but once I had the surgery, I knew something had been done. You know, I just... You know, I didn't feel the pain. Right after surgery, the pain was gone. You know, I mean, I was in pain from the surgery, but the pain that I was feeling was gone. Hmm. Now, was was that a miracle? Could have been, I don't know. Hmm. Just good hands from the doctor doing his work, you know. And so I started to come back. You know, I, um, I, I struggled to walk. I uh, got back to school, and when I could walk, I was walking neighborhoods in Bloomington for hours, just desperate, you know, trying to get back. And then Doc Councilman called uh, Coach Knight and said, uh, hey, bring him over to the swimming pool and let me have him. Mm. And I couldn't swim at the time, you know. <laughs> and that's how – no, really, I, I started – in the Olympic pool over at, uh, over where the swim team was working out. Sure. And literally I would, I would run that pool, Olympic pool for three hours a day. Like running underwater, you know, through the water. Yeah. 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 Yes. But, you know, so you had a vest and a, and a, a belt on that held you straight up in the water. So that was my workout. And I, I would do this three hours a day and literally be sweating and it was tough, man. I mean, after I did that, I would get something to eat. All I could do is go to sleep, mm. you know, because of the, uh, the workout. But that's what really got me back to the point where I went from not being able to walk to walking to the pool, to the pool, to the stationary bike, to the basketball court in wow. eight weeks. In eight weeks. But yeah, but did anybody expect you to return to basketball no. that season? No. And you know, my mother thought I was crazy. You know, in the you know, it, again, it's amazing how things happen in life. You know, when that seventh week was probably the best practice I'd had in four years at Indiana University. 
it was like I didn't miss a beat. Now, I knew I had picked up weight. I lost my athleticism. You know, I just wasn't the same. I didn't have the mobility that I had before I had the surgery at that time. But I never lost my shot. Mm. And after that seventh week, I told coach, I said, hey, man, I think I'm I think I can play. You know, it was pain free. You know, I was grinding in practice three hours a day and I'll go home. The only person I had to deal with was my mother. And I went home. I said, Mom, I'm going to start back playing next week. And she said, you got to be crazy. <laughs> and I I came back against Iowa and I never yeah. looked back from that. All right. But before we get into that six game stretch, I'm blown away by this thing, too. You're at Indiana. You're playing for the best basketball coach of all time. And then you get sent over to the greatest swim coach of all time, Doc Councilman. I mean, you know, you talk a little bit about miracles and the basketball gods, but clearly you had some guardian angels over you. Because absolutely to be there at that time and to be able to benefit from the, just the oversight of Doc Councilman in your rehab I mean, that is staggering. What we, we haven't talked about Doc Councilman at all. What was he like? What, what was, did you build a relationship with him at all? He was tremendous. You know, he was patient with me. You know, I remember him telling me, I get a skinny kid like you. You can't float on water. You can't stay <laughs> up, you know. <laughs> I told him, hell, I don't know. Shit. I never, I know how to swim now, but I, I didn't know how to swim back then, you know? So I had to put, I had to put a life jacket on and a, and a a belt around my waist to keep me up in the water so I could stay straight up and run through the water. So it, it was, it was challenging times for me because I had so many things staring me in my face. uh, And it it seemed to all come tumbling down when I went in for surgery, but things started to happen so quickly when I came back that it was, you know, it was a miracle, man. And hell, when I went into the hall of fame there, you know, Dr. Henry Foy was the first guy I called to, to sit up front wow. and be my guest, man, because he saved my career. Mm. I want to touch on one more person before we get into those six games. We often find that with any successful person, most successful person, people, there is a parent there, whether it's a dad or a mom, a closeness. You lost your father when you were young. You said it at 13. Your mom has 12 kids. And there she is for the next to baby of the group, making sure that you graduate Indiana University with a degree. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what your mom meant to you? Uh, growing up? Well, she was everything. You know, my dad, you know, he worked himself to death trying to take care of everybody. But, you know, she was a nurse that she just worked, you know, and 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 she instilled in all of us, you know, to do the right things. Now, I didn't always do the right things, obviously. and <laughs> um, But I was always in her corner and she was always in my corner. And I, I told her if I ever made it, the first thing I was going to do was buy her a home. And I did that. And oh. for me, that was the biggest, you know, accomplishment that I could ever achieved, uh, you know, coming out of college and going into the pros. So, you know, she was my biggest fan. Um, she turned me over to Bob Knight and Bob Knight could do no wrong, you know, in, in her eyes, you know, he was, 
he was like the guy who was going to mentor me and and she made sure that it was okay. She never said a word in four years about, you know, how he coached me. And um, she was just, she was a real mother. And, um, and so she deserved everything I gave her until she passed away. But, you know, it, it was, it was good times back then, you know, for all of us, especially when I was able to come back and get on the basketball floor and finish what I had started. Well, we all know how much winning the Big Ten title means to Coach Knight, and you guys had not accomplished that. How much was that on your mind during the rehab, getting you back, and when you came back? Was that was that what was driving you when you showed back up on the court? Well, you know, just coming into that year, you know, I was so driven because I knew the Final Fours was in Indianapolis on my birthday. Day. Mm. That's all I was thinking about was trying to get in Indianapolis. That, you know, that was, you know, to me, that would have been the the total career for me in, in college basketball. And I couldn't get there. And, you know, to get through those six games, because I think as you remember, we were in the middle of the pack at that time. Yeah, seven and five. And when I came back, we had yeah, we had to go to Iowa, I think, yep. Michigan or Michigan State. I Iowa, then Minnesota, then Michigan Minnesota. State, then Michigan State. By the way, 18 points against Iowa first game back. 24 points against Minnesota second game back. Then beat Michigan State. Then playing against Michigan, 24 points. I mean, it is a murderer's row. And the last game of the year, Coach, is against the team you are tied with for the Big Ten championship. Whoever wins this game wins the Big Ten title, and it's Ohio State. What do you remember about that game? Well, I I knew that they had three All-Americans, man, that were really, really good, and Herb and Clark and, and Calvin Ramsey. and But we were good, too, and we were playing well. You know, I mean, to go through the teams you just mentioned to get to that that title game, it, you know, it was huge for us. And, you know, Butch and all those guys, none of them, none of them ever quit. You know, they just, they hung in there and we just kept grinding and battling. And, and that game went, I think went into overtime, I believe. It did. And, and we ended up, we ended up winning in overtime, man. And then, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, to have our fans and do it in front of our fans and then be able to thank them for all the years that they supported me, boy, was huge. huge. Well, I want to draw a connection here because there's not a coincidence, and, and you know this better than anyone. But obviously, you, you come back for those six games, you win Big Ten MVP. You win the Big Ten title. And cut to 40 years later, Assembly Hall to recognize that team and on a nice day in, in cold February happens to be the day that Coach Knight, because of people like Randy Whitman and you and Isaiah, the leaders of that team, Coach Knight decides it's going to be the day that he is going to come back to Bloomington. I know you were there. I know you were a big part of it. What did it mean to be back in Bloomington on that day in February? And by the way, Ward and I were there too, crying our eyes out, losing our minds about it. 
but just I, I saw the emotion on your face. I listened to the press conferences that you did in the interviews. But as you think back on it now, we're you know seven eight months later. What do you uh, nine months later really? What it, what was that day like for you, Coach? That's that's Indiana basketball. You know, Coach Knight is Indiana basketball. I don't care how you cut it. You know, I don't care what's happened between the time he coached there and he left. Make no mistake about it. He's going to always be Indiana basketball. Um, you know, and for him to come back and support, you know, it was long overdue, man. I mean, this guy had done so much for that university and for basketball and coached so many great players over the years that he coached there. And it, it was just overdue. He had to come back, man. I mean, this was the timing was, it couldn't have been better. Um, you know, I hadn't been back. Um, and to see all the players that came back, the Scott Mays and the Kitchells and the Quins, and I mean, it was just so many guys that that I I just wish a lot of the, more of the guys would have came back. But it was enough mm-hmm. to to send the message that you know Indiana basketball will never be forgotten. I mean, it, and it won't be because Bob Knight made it that way, you know, and. It was just a fun night, and it was fun for him, man. I mean, I just couldn't have been more happy for him uh, being able to come back and hear the fans that last time, you know, give him what he well deserved. And you mentioned um, that you had not been back. Did that heal something for you? Do you feel like you can embrace Indiana University now in a way you couldn't for 20 years? Well, you know, I've never, I've never unbraced them. You know, I mean, it's just my job, my walk of life from coaching. It's just never allowed me to, to be able to come back. You know, I come back every summer. You know, I mean, I got ties still in Bloomington, um, but I hadn't been in assembly hall in that setting in a long, long time, man. And just to be able to hear the fans, because I remember how I was running up and down the floor, man. It was one of the most beautiful things you ever, our fans were, are some of the greatest fans across this country, man. IU people are special. They really are. And, and that's what makes, that's what makes Indiana basketball. It's the fans, you know, they always support it. Always. Hell, shit, every game I played it, they sold out. So it was, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> it Coach, you, you have lived several lifetimes in your, uh, and you're still a young man. Uh, we could go another hours, hours and hours to talk about your playing days and then your coaching days. We would love to have you back on the show to do that, but you've already given us so much of your time. I, I don't want to, I don't want to take you into wee hours of the night and it's already getting nighttime where you are. Uh, we'd love to have you back on if that's okay to talk about the that's NBA. Fine. Uh, and I, I want to say this. Shared, I haven't shared a lot of my stories over the years. So you guys, you we know, love this it. is, you know, I, you know, I'm humbled to do it, but it's just, I've kind of stayed away from it. You know, Hey, my career is what it's been. Uh, and it's been wonderful. I, my walk of life has been great, man. I can't, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world boy, because what you did for Indiana University in your time there and what you have done since and how that reflects on Indiana University. I hope 
you have some semblance of an idea of how much pride you give all of us, how proud we all are of you. And we hear, you know, you're back in New York and we're all rooting for you to keep succeeding as you have been. And, and to know that whenever life allows you to come back to Bloomington, a game or not, I'm sure you feel this every time you get back, you are a hero to us and you always will be. Well, I don't know about that, but I appreciate that. That means a great deal to you, me. It really does. Thank your you. Your humility is part of why we love you. And I got to tell you, look, we are the fans and we like to think of ourselves as special because we need that because we could never shoot a jump shot. So we have to tell ourselves we're special as fans. But the you reason Indiana, the reason Indiana fans are special is because of the people that made it. The people that wore Indiana across their chest and did it proudly and did it the right way and did it in a unique way, which is what Coach Knight did and Branch McCracken did before him and Everett Dean did before him. But what you did at Indiana and your legacy of busting your butt to come back so that you could finish out your senior year and help that team do special things is the stuff of legend, coach. It simply is. And it is a story that has continued to be told. My dad told me the story. My uncle told me the story. It is written about. It has continued to be talked about amongst Indiana fans. And Our like, children will know about it. Yes, they will. It's their bedtime story. <laughs> and, and, and as Ward said, look, I'm, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm not a New York Knicks fan. But when somebody starts to talk to me about how bad the Knicks are or how much they've struggled, you know what I say? Yeah, unless they have Mike Woodson there, that's when they're good. You know when the Hawks were last good? When Mike Woodson was there. So Ward is exactly right. We are so proud to be able to call you a Hoosier. And well, thank you. we love that you came on this show and took the time. You, you represent the school in the right way. And, and we couldn't be happy for this, happier for you for the success you've had and more to come. Well, thank you guys. You keep doing your thing, man. And let's go IU. All let's right. go IU. Thanks so much. <laughs> Amen. Coach. Our football program is yes. great. <laughs> Can you believe it? We're a football school finally. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm loving it. It's I'm really great. It. But take care, guys. Happy holidays to you guys, too. Okay. Goosebumps. I have goosebumps right now goosebumps beholding that man and we've got to have this experience a few times where that's greatness that's greatness that just makes us who we are and and well who we've been so no it's who we are it's who we are when you've had so much time go by since we've had that kind of greatness it's like we we need to we need to keep carrying the torch for guys like that and and make sure this program gets right back to where they had it yeah because the truth is 15 turnovers against whoever you know a, a bad game against ohio state that that is not what the stuff of Indiana is Mike Woodson is Indiana University and us being able to just take in some of that for a little bit of time and share that it's just remarkable I mean I I love him talking about these little stories the the Isaiah Thomas work you know notebook taking mm-hmm. him under his wing um coach Knight you know um laying into 
like having the, having in laying into the media because he wasn't a first team all Big Ten. I didn't know any of that. Like no. that's the kind of minutia that unless you are in it, like we are with today's team in the last twenty years of, of teams, you, that stuff gets lost. That stuff isn't told in the history of Indiana University, and it's remarkable stuff. It's remarkable. When our coffee table book comes out, yeah, I I I don't know how it'll be organized. If it'll be player to player chronological, but I really want all those great anecdotes to be accessible, like in the index to be able to just go because every person we have on has like a few gems and it's just the tapestry that creates Indiana basketball. Whereas we've been confined for our whole lives to the game, the press conference, the box score, what this has allowed for us and hopefully the listeners is this peek behind the curtain, you know, almost a hundred times now where when you put all that together, you, you understand why it's such a special experience to play. Obviously so much uh, of it has been for coach Knight, but really to play for Indiana university and to just grind it out every day and, you know, it's nice. We don't have to get sweaty or work real hard or wake up early in the morning. We just get to hear a bunch of the great stories. It's it's totally true. And and I mean what I said about there's no one that would read the media narrative of who Coach Knight was and think for a second that that would be a guy using a press conference to to promote an individual achievement. Right. Like, you know, though, I would imagine back then with the guys who are living it, then the press, the fans who are really into it, they were very aware of that. And they'd always say, well, nobody talks about Coach Knight donating all his money to the library. But then everybody would talk about that. But if you're talking about national media, yeah, that minutia. That minutia is loose, lost even in a contemporary setting. That's that's what I mean. I mean, okay. the, the national media picture of who Coach Knight is would never support that he goes to bat for a player to win Big Ten first team. Like, he would have been the guy who never wanted names, and it's not about this, it's not about winning trophies, it's just about the team success. Like, Coach Knight knew how to motivate his players he knew what they needed. He, he cared about them deeply. And if you committed to him, he was committed to you, period. If you were committed to Indiana University, he would do everything in his power to make sure that you experienced individual success as well. And, and that's his, important. his power also included to be able to get what the Indianapolis Star to change their final published big 10 list and add somebody and it it, it goes to show i I did not get the chance to ask him about a quote i read um where he said because he was a part of that first generation of indiana basketball players who grew up in the night era where already at the time woodson was coming up playing coach knight's philosophy and style of basketball was starting to infiltrate all levels of basketball in the state of Indiana because we've talked about it before how it changed from the the top down how everybody in the state approached the game and he was there on the ground floor of that and a product of that and it just keeps going back to the influence of this great coach who right now still has a guy who played for him 40 years ago coaching in Madison Square Garden for the upcoming season 
Yeah, and there's also some nice symmetry there because Coach Knight loved the NIT tournament, loved it. And it goes back to his Army days at West Point where that was a tournament that he got into a couple times at Army. Playing on the East Coast was a bigger deal for him than the national thing. Playing in Madison Square Garden was a big deal for Coach Knight. He liked that. And well, he- and the, the history of it predates the NCAA tournament. Yes, it does. And, and here you have one of his protégés who is, you know, a starring figure in, in the team that plays at Madison Square Garden. There's some nice symmetry there. Uh, the, the thing that strikes me the most about Mike Woodson, I hate false humility. Like the, oh, you know, I wasn't that good. Like, well, no, what I like is real humility mixed with supreme confidence, not arrogance. I like somebody who says, I had a really good jump shot. Mm-hmm. That's, I knew, I knew, as a high school player that I could play at the college level. Well, and, I and mean, he, he, was pl- he was playing with George McGinnis as a pros. sophomore in high school. So he had a good, good litmus test there. But marry that with real humility that you saw for the, you heard for the 90 minutes we talked to him. This is not a braggadocious human being. This is an even keeled guy who I think takes his, job seriously took his job as a player seriously takes the game of basketball seriously but has confidence in himself and has this just humility that is admirable I mean it is it is the stuff of why we love Indiana players especially from that era well and when you survive as one of a dozen kids as as the the second to baby right there you're you, that you grew up with a basketball team more or less but then when you you have a a mom who's still your biggest fan and so invested in you i mean i think if i had a third or a fourth kid i'd just kind of let him play in the street like i'd be over it yeah <laughs> like totally. i'm sorry i got nothing left for you dude you but, should see ainsley i mean i, I haven't even <laughs> ainsley's my third i haven't seen her in six weeks she might be here in the house. Yeah, she might be in your backyard. <laughs> so it, it just goes to show, and and when you talk about the humility, it's it's also appreciating those who provided the path for you, yes. whether it was his older brothers or his father, who before he passed, like literally worked himself to death to George McGinnis, sort of taking a shine to him and instilling him with that confidence. Because I think there's, so many kids with so much talent, not just in basketball, but in anything who end up not pursuing those given gifts because nobody told them. Right. Nobody supported them. Nobody encouraged them. And then beyond that, what I love so much about Mike Woodson is how about all the other people he mentioned? His high school coach that he felt terrible about because of the Wisconsin job. How about and hired him to be an assistant? And on the hired with him, him to be an assistant. <laughs> yeah. And did, never forgot it. Never forgot it 30 years later. Yeah. What about Dr. F- I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing the name wrong, but Dr. Fourier that he talked about who did the back surgery on him? Yeah. How about Doc Councilman? Mm-hmm. You know, like. All these people that came into his life that he is not forgetting, they are part of him, and he gives them their just due. That is the sign of a good human. It's yeah. a, it, is, it is why we love so many of these guys. Coach Knight recruited character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Did he hit on everyone? No, of course not. But his hit rate was out of control. I mean, and his was, hit rate was crazy. And a quick, quick aside, because we've talked about this 
recently. It is one thing I love about our team right now. I I really feel good about these guys, but then to take it back to now, let's hope they have the jump shot of Mike Woodson. Well, we know they don't. We know that <laughs> there's they don't. the difference. That, that's a that's a very high bar. Yeah, but I'll, I'll I'll say this about when you think about Mike Woodson or Glenn Grunwald, who was there with him originally when he came to New York, and on and on with so many of these gentlemen, we've got to speak with, and I'm sure this applies to most of the ones we have not, that you can rise to the very top of your profession without being conniving and backstabbing and scheming and ruthless. If you are a good human being, yeah, some natural talent is is probably always an important part of it, but then they're also all just grinders. And and the way he attacked his rehab was again, it's all a testament to like you put in that time and you you can come out on top and have a wonderful career, whatever direction it takes. I also want to mention great call on diving in more into diving into more to Doc Councilman with the swimming stuff because it talks to the bigger idea of of IU being a big family. family and we're we've been hyper focused on basketball we're we're bringing football into the fold as that's so fun and exciting but it it's really just a testament to what the university means to itself like to 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 rally around that it's when everybody's rowing in the same direction i don't think we have a rowing team but if if we're all kind of united and working together, if the football and the basketball and the volleyball and the women's basketball, it, it's just, it's a fun kind of synergy that I hope we can bring back because, you know, when coach Knight and doc councilman and Jerry Yagley were like winning titles after titles, they all fed off each other. Clearly here is a very literal totally example agree. of them helping each other. And I think part of that is this understanding of what it means to be at Indiana right? This, it, it is this thing that we feel and we want the people representing the programs to feel. And I mean, look, Bob Knight was the doc councilman of basketball. I mean, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. doc councilman was there from 57 to like 1990, I think something like that. I mean, three and a half decades of just dominance, you know, Olympians, multiple time Olympians, championships, incredible. And, and hearing that story just blew me away. I loved it. I love, I just, I really loved Mike Woodson. And, uh, you know, when we do our research beforehand, we'll talk a little bit in the minutes before we do the interview about what did you, when you, when you did your research, did you see X, Y, and Z? And with Woodson, I mean, it just went on and on and on. And the truth is, I do think that Woodson's legacy doesn't get nearly the the buzz of the national championship star players because they, it was missing a national championship. But there are like a handful of players who can argue that from from a uh, an offensive standpoint, they're in the same class of Mike Woodson. I mean, he is in rarefied air and his career at Indiana and his legacy deserves a, a, a closer look from from people who talk about the legends of Indiana. Woodson's name is right there. Well, and we have if we didn't know it before, we certainly have mounting 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 evidence as to how great that team really was Uh and how crucial luck is because even though he was able to fight his way back randy whitman was not 
And I just can't imagine they wouldn't have taken down Purdue with a healthy Randy Whitman. And of, of course that team had the talent to win a national championship. And, and, and unless you were alive then and watching without them actually achieving that, it, it just, it just naturally recedes yes. into the background and gets glossed over in a, almost any conversation, because unless you're going to, you know, and I think at this point, an article was written of the greatest teams not to win it. And you, you, you we'll just, always get the 75 team, but that's because it was married to the 76. Yeah, exactly. But the exactly. 80 team, the 80 team never gets married to the 81 team in the same way that the 75 team gets married to the 76 team. And it should. Damn it, we're trying to change that here. We are. And, and by the way, Mike Woodson wasn't healthy. I mean, I, yeah. I he came you back know. from back surgery in seven <laughs> weeks. I mean, and and he he touched on it, but the mental fortitude you have to have to be like, I am 21, 22 years old. I am one of the greatest college basketball players on earth. I am invincible. What do you mean you have to operate on my spine tomorrow right. morning? Right. Like just, just to not completely lose your shit. And, and, his mom, and that's where mom comes in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Ward, here's the other thing. Can you imagine? He clearly, the reason he was saying you're not going to operate on my spine I think we didn't get into it, but I, I would guarantee part of it, of course, is we're the number one team in the country and I don't, you know, but the other part of it is I'm going to go to the NBA mm-hmm. and make a lot of money playing basketball. You're not touching my spine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then he gets the back surgery and then he busts his ass and probably risks some injury to come back that quickly because he believed in that team. And he wanted to be there for his teammates and be there for coach and wanted to finish out that career. And that takes balls and it takes heart and guts, the stuff that we want the program to be made of. And I, I'm just, we've been talking about getting Mike Woodson on the show for well over a year. Forever. Yeah. And, and being able to do it and then having him agree to do a part two, which is, which is never a given with us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and it's an easy out for him. Like, Oh, no way in hell, but it's going to be easier for me to ignore your texts than it will be to say no right here while you're recording. I do want to say this though, to anybody who's listening, here's what Mike Woodson did today. Right now it's almost eight o'clock on the East coast. He's in New York city in a hotel because he hasn't found the place to live in yet for, for his job. He was at the office all day today, because they just had the draft last week. He told us the exhibition season starts in like 11 days. It's a totally new staff that he doesn't even know the last names of the. <laughs> he worked all day yesterday. He works all day tomorrow. And he got back to us and said that he wanted to do this with us for Indiana. And he is not somebody who grabs a mic whenever there's one available to tell his story. He, he- isn't. He even said, like, I, I mean, when I was doing research, not finding a lot of in-depth uh, Woodson interviews, and it's it, it speaks to how much IU does mean to him. Totally. Be, I mean, because I'm sure he's a huge fan of us in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm guessing the bigger factor in that was he realized he could speak to times he remembers fondly and were meaningful to him, but he knows – what he well hopefully now he knows what he means to the iu fans and he certainly knows what they mean to him 
And special shout out, Scott Dolson helped us get this interview. And the athletic director for Indiana University is a supporter of us sharing the history of Indiana University with as many fans of Indiana as possible. And that's really important. And it's, it, it speaks to Scott's character too. And it speaks to the stuff Scott is made of and how much he loves Indiana because yeah, he sees value in it. He's, for, he's one, he, he is one of us, right? you know, and, and I couldn't tell you really the, the biography of previous ADs because we haven't had him on the show, Although but with we're, Scott, we've tried. <laughs> can't fault the guy for trying, but we know Scott is one of us. One of of us. us. And so to to have the support from the very top of the athletic department, because it's it's not just nostalgia. It's also very practical. Like this, this is something where bringing the whole history and legacy of IU together and present it to the fans, you know, it keeps the, the flame burning and when you have somebody like Mike Woodson coaching for the New York Knicks, by the way, they did draft uh, a Dayton guy. Um, we'll be there next year. It was kind of painful on an aside when my kids were watching the draft with me and they're like, are there going to be any IU players taken? And I was like, not this year, kids. But we had one last year and we're going to have one next year. But not this year, kids. Anyway, um, that it is crucial who was drafted last year? Wasn't Romeo last year? Two years ago, right? Well, he oh, no, played. No, he was right, a rookie right. this year. You're right. Yeah, you're yeah, right. yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, so that made me kind of feel better. Just, yeah, okay. that's true. Just we one, had a lottery just one, pick a year ago. Just one year off. And we'll probably have somebody drafted next year. Yeah. So uh, it's certainly something where just for the brand, not to be too calculating about it, but – the world needs to know there's Hoosiers out there at all levels of the game and coming here. That's not only going to give you a better opportunity to get a good look. You want to play at the next level, but Hey, if you like this coaching thing for the long, long term, you couldn't come to a better school. I agree with you. Although I will say this, you're right. That, that there's a calculus that is important there. I don't think that's why Scott does it to help us. I really don't. I think it's more about, he's one of us. And he gets the value that it gives to fans and just viscerally likes it and wants fans to know the history that he knows that's meaningful to him. And if you can connect that to younger fans and older fans and connect us all together, it just makes being an Indiana fan better. And yeah, I, I agree. I was just going on a, a my own no, digression. But I, no, but I think, um, you're, I think that you're right. I think that there is a net result of it that is tangible. I do. Maybe, yeah, may, maybe it ekes out there to a few corners, but it's sort of like if if we can do it in this way and then some of the listeners share that and share that, it just becomes a part of, of the whole package. The whole package of a hundred years of basketball that does make us special. And and I think along along the way, I've bought more and more into the idea of us being special, not that I didn't know, of course, with the history, the legacy, the, the attendance, the value of the program, that IU is still special. But by God, I just don't think there's many other schools in the country whose alumni and former players 
speak in such loving terms about their school and their school days and the people they went to school with. It's that does feel very special. It is. It's not just a place you went to school. I mean, it is, you know, I was talking to Rabbi about this. You can only explain it to people that are in it. I mean, look, my girlfriend, Holly, she, you know, she'd lived in Los Angeles her whole life. She went to UCLA. It was a place she went to for four years. She has no pride associated with going to UCLA. She could have gone anywhere. She went to UCLA because it was the closest, you know? Well, and, and it's like, it's a great school, but that's, totally. th- that's, that's more it. transactional. Like, look at how great this that's education is. It was a stop. Is. It was a stop. Mm-hmm. But Indiana, if you are a true fan of Indiana, you get meaning from it. Uh, and I don't say that in a silly way. It is meaningful to you in a real life way. The joy of winning football games, of seeing the program, you know, where it's at right now. The idea that Archie can get us to where we want to go. You get real meaning from that. It makes your life enriched. You know, seeing Indiana raise up the rankings of U.S. News and World Report. If that were to happen, you know, <laughs> see, but, but seeing when Kelly School of Business is ranked the number one online program in the country. It's seeing, seeing when IU is ranked the number one party school in the country. Meaningful. To I'm it. not going to lie to you. I was an undergrad. That meant a lot. When Indiana was voted <laughs> hottest girls in the Big Ten, it was meaningful to me. <laughs> so my point is, if like the kids say, if you know, you know, and if you know, what Indiana means, you know, and the rest of you can go stick it up your ass. <laughs> and on that note, follow us on Twitter f- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but the, but sometimes, the sometimes Y. y. Uh, really fun one. Legend, legend, legend. And we will see you. I always say we will see you. What should I be saying? We're not going to see them. We will talk to you next week. You'll hear us next week. And you'll hear us next week. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Warren and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.